Patrick and today we're interrogating something which perhaps we could have done at the beginning of the series which is to define some kind of notion of the spiritual and try and get at what being spiritual actually means. So far our approach in this series and with the Rate House more generally is to let these big abstract general questions emerge in their own way through honest and pluralistic dialogue. So our intention is not in this episode to arrive at some fixed or concise definition of these two big questions. What does spiritual mean and what does it mean to be spiritual? But hopefully in exploring them and asking these questions, we might get to some greater clarity, if not further questions to answer in the future. Let me begin by introducing Toby Mendelssohn, who will be joining me for this podcast. Hello, Ruth. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Great. And I'm just going to throw you off the deep end and ask you for your intuitive answer. So these questions of what it means to be spiritual, what does spiritual mean? Well, I have to say my, um, my kind of intuitions on that are a bit problematic in that I find the word spiritual conveys things which for me are somewhat negative. I, it invokes this kind of image of someone who's not prepared to look at reality truthfully and to understand things in you know in a kind of clear and proper way so in other words someone who's somewhat escapist about mm-hmm. things and so there's you know very much a negative uh, you might say stereotype connected with the idea of the spiritual which i have mm. and which i realize is very much given to me by my culture which here in australia is highly secular and somewhat utilitarian in in its approach to things. So people who are looked upon as quote-unquote spiritual are looked upon as sort of failing to live up to the pragmatic, instrumental, secular waters um, which define modern Australia. So that's probably my, you know, my original intuition about it. Intuition in the sense of ingrained condition, socially conditioned. Well, yes. It's what, you know, it's what has been given to me by my culture. And um, there's been a long process, of, I suppose, of trying to overturn mm-hmm. that negative conception and seeing that the word spiritual or the practice of being spiritual means a lot of different things. And some of them, I think, are highly important and fruitful and precious things and necessary things. So um, these days I'm more happy to, to use the term mm-hmm. and to use it in particular contexts where I think it really does capture something Um, necessary and beautiful about a life okay that's very interesting because um it makes me it makes me realize that a lot of the process of setting up a rate house that we've been through and trying to work out what it is that we're seeking to give has been trying to move in out of and around this notion of what it means to be spiritual and almost wishing there was another word that somehow didn't involve all of those uh you know assumed 
impracticalities or unrealities that held within it a sense of critical investigation but also an openness maybe to things beyond that or things unseen well yeah it's definitely a problem of language i think there are a whole bunch of other terms we might use to describe similar things but somehow or other all of them fail a little bit and there isn't really the perfect word to describe what it is we're trying to do or what it is that we think spiritual means Indeed, but we're going nevertheless to attempt to explore it through language in this podcast because um, using other means in this format would be quite counterproductive, seeing as it's an audio format. Would would we like to start with um, a, a perhaps somewhat crude um, benchmark? Uh, it's a... very crude. The listeners should know that I went onto Wikipedia yesterday. Um, Actually, I've got increasing respect for Wikipedia, but, um, you know, it is pretty crude. But I thought just to give the listeners some sense about where the word spirit or spiritual came from and what it kind of means, I think it's a good idea just to get the ball rolling. I mean, it's what you normally get in an undergrad essay. Someone just gives you a kind of Oxford dictionary definition of whatever it is they're trying to do. They at least know not to use Wikipedia. It's completely unconvincing when you're grading the essay. But uh, this, you know, I think this is helpful. So let me just read it. Um, So uh, the English word spirit comes from the Latin spiritus, meaning breath. But also spirit, soul, courage, vigor. Ultimately from a proto-Indo-European spears. It is distinguished from Latin anima, soul, which nonetheless also derives from Indo-European root meaning to breathe, earliest form hen. In Greek, this distinction exists between pneuma, again breath, motile air, spirit, and psyche, that's soul. Even though the latter term, psyche, is also from an Indo-European root meaning to breathe. So the breath is clearly playing a rather strong role in all of this. Um, The word spirit came into Middle English via Old French. And the distinction between soul and spirit also developed in the Abrahamic religions, Arabic nafs, opposite ru, Hebrew neshama, opposite ruach. Ruach is something I know as meaning wind. Um... And then that's more or less the end of the quote. But the, the seems to me the very central, um, the central synonym there for spirit is simply breath. In all of that, which to me is rather inadequate, is it not? Or is it adequate? Well, the um, the sense that I got from that is that in trying to discuss spirit, we inevitably left with metaphor. And that the breath maybe was what um, earlier thinkers gravitated to in the sense that it's something that in a way is invisible. It has certain expressions, but you, you can't quite put your hand on breath and yet is kind of quintessential to life or life as it is in our bodies. Right, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know about this, but I'm sure it probably relates to earlier, maybe ancient Greek metaphysic. Well, Does it follow then that to be spiritual simply means to breathe? 
that, um, that might be a little broad. Because everyone's breathing, but I don't think it's true that everyone is quote-unquote spiritual in the way that we tend to think it means. Well, I wouldn't mind coming back to that, but perhaps first we want to look at it particularly is is spirit in contrast to what this definition leads us to is it inevitably in some dualistic dialectic with the material well and something which keeps popping up throughout this series is mind body relationship i think that's clearly the connotation that it has and that sort of comes up you know when i was saying before about this negative stereotype i have of the spiritual implies a kind of turning away from materiality or a forsaking mm. of the material world um, in order to be something more idealist or escapist. So I think um, it's at least a very useful starting point to think of the spiritual as opposed to the material. And we can think about that not just metaphysically as in you know breath and matter or air and matter, but more culturally when we think about someone being really interested in the material world that tends to imply that they're interested in fancy cars and money and mm. you know all the pleasures of of being embodied you know good food and all of that kind of stuff whereas someone who is spiritual is sort of more interested in something transcendental of that or of a, a more abstract nature i i would agree in the sense that it is if, if we're getting down to really essential terms or frameworks it is hard to get away that away from the fact that there's some dualism at play here and yet um, to say that and this has come up also many times throughout the series every attractive I'll say contemporary spiritual movement seems to be very strongly pushing against that perception perhaps not against a crude materialism, but against the sense that there is a really um, there is a binary that there, that that that's you know that there's not many spiritualities pushing out that yes matter is the source of all evil, and if you can just let that go and go to some transcendent place of spirit, it might be that in couched in more official variations of religions, but not the ones so much that are growing I don't think you know it, it's to say that even though that divide is hard to ignore that's not it's not the zeitgeist of the times there's a there's a real push to maybe perhaps see these as a lot more deeply integrated than they have previously well I'd agree with yeah. that yeah and that that does give us a difficulty then that we can't start with a a rather simple-minded dualism between being materialist in orientation and being spiritual then how do we how do we start thinking about what it is to be spiritual well exactly i mean do you lose something to in just not not seeing being spiritual as something different from the material world like is there just some denial going on there or, or maybe one way to get around this we could ask is then what is it to be devoid of spiritual life you know to be unspiritual and going back to what you said 
a moment ago, does that imply a kind of unwilling fixation on the material world? Uh, yes, it's always good. It's always good to start um, in the negation. You know, you mm. try and work out what something is not, and then you might well have more success in establishing what it is. What does it mean to be not spiritual in today's world? Well, I think it implies being unreflective. Mm. Not really caring where your values come from. Just going along with things. Just um, being happy to absorb all of the cultural and ideological ideas of the times. And not examining what it is that you value or that you think is true. So there's a kind of, um, maybe it's more of a mindset, an unwillingness to be curious Mm. and an unwillingness to be open about terrain which is unknown. So uh, when I think about people that appear to be unspiritual, they're people who have no interest in exploring and I suppose, um, as one of the, uh, maybe a common expression of that, that would be someone who's very, very materialistically oriented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just going out to have as much hedonistic pleasure as they can in their time. That does seem to me to be like an, one expression of a completely unspiritual approach to life. But I, I, I do think there are a lot of people that aren't outwardly spiritual and that are rather materialistic in the orientation but somehow or other do express a kind of spirituality in their work or in the way they pursue life what do you think well um yeah i think i mean it reminds me of certain research questionnaires that are done that when you get down to exploring the real nuts and bolts of what people think reality consists of it's extremely hard to find someone that doesn't place some emphasis on something that's not purely tangible that's not purely in the realm i guess you could say of empiricism so you know you started moving into the concept of values you know and in there's, there's all sorts of interesting tensions or relationships that are posited or dismissed about the relationship between spirituality and ethics you know so ethics is something or values are something that you can't you know you you can't easily measure they're unseen why we think something is important and something isn't you know you can rationalize through all of that but what i'm kind of pointing point to is that there's a whole vast array of unseen, subtle dimensions of life that go well beyond the material but don't naturally fall into the category perhaps of what we might say is spiritual. But perhaps for us, and you know, talking about um, people being reflexive or not reflexive, perhaps for us, or I should just speak... Um, about myself anyone that's doing deeper thinking around their actions and conceptions of even say something like the good is in the realm of the spiritual what's interesting there is you seem to be um suggesting and i think it's i totally agree actually that 
what it really comes down to is the way the mind is utilised in certain ways. And mind need not be some distinct separate category in and of itself, but just that there is a process of examining things or using the mind to explore values or ethics or relationships or things that aren't purely empirical in nature. Is that, is that what you're saying a little bit? I still have this as an open question, really, because when I, if I was to, on the one hand, say, well, okay, what does it mean to be spiritual? Then I would probably place emphasis on, on the desire to explore and openness to experience and investigate subtle dimensions of being. And what are those subtle dimensions? Well, that's all part of the exploration, you know. Are they non-verbal? You know, that's something that you couldn't communicate. Potentially, yes. And that takes Most us back to the Wikipedia is. definition in that one reading of that would be it's suggestive of something intangible, as you said, or invisible or not subject to, you know, ordinary perceptions. There's some other thing that's a little bit more subtle. Yes, and yet I could immediately resist that by saying and certain, you know, um, certain philosophical, religious, spiritual worldviews would have this too, that it completely permeates the tangible to this thing we're talking about. But perhaps that's more expression of it. So I would say to be, to, to be spiritual is to an extent to have an openness and a curiosity to seek to cultivate a richer encounter with subtle dimensions of being. But then having said that, you know, and whether it's a virtual signaling thing, but it's also a deeply held belief, I would be, I would resist saying that anyone isn't spiritual in the sense of the notion that everyone, you know, if it's from a Buddhist perspective, has Buddha nature, has a seed, has the capacity to become a Buddha, or from a whole range of other um, possible worldviews, you know, that there's a potential there for complete transformation. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, but um, maybe there's a distinction to be made between and maybe actually this gets closer to the heart of what I think might be a good definition. If someone is actively trying to harness their potential, they are someone who mm. is quote-unquote spiritual. If someone couldn't care less about their potential and isn't interested in harnessing it or finding it or reaching towards it, maybe that would be close to what I would say is an unspiritual person. I, I, I agree. Like, to to go forward on what I said earlier exactly is what, then one way you can make a distinction around that is are they actively cultivating inner and outer conditions that enable those encounters or insights to occur and flourish there's a sense too that I would be wary of then that kind of approach potentially falling too much into those characterizations of the spiritual and spirituality as being this very self-absorbed desire for um, blissful experiences. 
individualistic individualistic self-serving another form of hedonism that's just um a little more subtle and i think um this might come up in and this is where you can get this tension or for some people alignment between pursuits of social justice and spirituality and i guess this is question of ethics and this question of embodiment of values and to be spiritual can be just as much a quest to seek the relief of suffering of all sentient beings and that might actually be deeply painful but your exploration is how can that be possible you know what what can one do to to make that possible maybe maybe politely gesturing to the idea that people that are eating chia drinking chia smoothies and signed up for all of the kind of lefty progressive um animal rights type protests or whatever or third wave feminism and are you know doing all the right kind of ethical things are indulging in a kind of pseudo spirituality or am i totally um imputing that on what you're saying oh i didn't have anyone in mind there particularly um it's that's always been a tension for me since day one of awakening um to spiritual dimensions of life was sitting there was a quest for social justice and social activism oh, right um, so I, that's not the direct focus of this. Sounds like podcast. I may have been putting too much of what you said, but it, it, it raises a question. Is there a distinction to be made between, quote unquote, a genuine spiritual life or personal practice and mm. a kind of fake one or an inauthentic one or one that is making all the right outward signs of it, but inwardly is not really engaged properly or doing the right kind of things? Are you talking about having all the gear but no idea i suppose so i suppose going back to some of those negative um and you know pejorative ideas about what the spiritual means definitely a a dominant one in the 21st century is that you know the really big Mm. smiley face glowy healthy person who's Mm. uh you know trying to eat perfectly and is all interested in mindfulness and the office and all this kind of stuff and living a highly aesthetic kind of life which seems very very ethical and very very um beautifully crafted but somehow or other just appears to be completely hollow and dead on the Mm. inside or suffering some kind of terrible naivety or or if not a sort of insularity that's not attuned to the horrors of life beyond their comforts right so in a way maybe it's just another form of um hedonistic pleasure seeking but in a a more aesthetic well, presentation or something like that i mean i'd like to leave room open for that i don't think it's a case that you can just kind of say everyone who thinks they're living a spiritual life is living a spiritual life in the same kind of way i think no, one has to make judgments about um, we need to judge and we are the judges yes we're, the, we're <laughs> judging you right now so watch out <laughs> I would like to explore that question, but maybe first, because it ties also very much into this. And here we have all these sort of binaries that come up when you think about religion versus spirituality as well. But is 
collectivity versus individuality or individualism. So being spiritual is normally thought of as being individual or is there something really more collective about it? Well, that's a very, very big question. And I think it, it certainly has to be thought of in both ways. I think to some degree, people that are really individualistic in trying to transform themselves and you know you know those people that are really really intense and they're um they go through a lot of changes and they're into one thing and then they're into another thing and they're all over the world and they're you know they have a kind of potency about them and when you look at them you kind of think well they've got an amazing will and they're always deploying that will in this in these really interesting and creative ways well that's highly individualistic but i think it's also highly spiritual in some way because it's so transformative. Uh, at the same time, I would definitely want to leave room open for a much wider, more collective idea or definition of spirituality. Well, I think it's actually really, it's already possibly one of the many misconceptions that spirituality is necessarily highly individualistic. It does, it, it demands a rich spiritual life, demands certain interiority, certain solitude and quietude to cultivate. But it so happens, so frequently happens in relation, for a start, in, inspired by relation, relationships, collective inspirations or encounters you know, that, that are shared. Well, we'd have to say groups there, wouldn't we? Because, yeah. I mean, we haven't talked about that, but there's these century, with the internet and everything, there's every different form of spirituality available. Mm. So if you're into, you know, Japanese Zen, you can find your Zen group. If you're into... Pagan, Wicca. Pagan, your whole, there's a whole gamut, isn't there? Absolutely. And so there is, that. that's definitely collective, because you kind of do something on your own side to work out what it is that you think is kind of right. And then you find other people with that same kind of system and you join them and you work together to some degree, don't you? Entirely. And, and also then on a um, theological, for lack of a better word, philosophical, metaphysical level, a lot of the states perhaps of um, transcendence that people might be reaching individually or collectively might be very much about um, really transcending a sense of an individualistic self. Maybe that's a bit cliche, but is actually experiencing this union or at least a, a movement that's closer towards dissolving any real separateness. And I appreciate that that can be really problematic if it's purely an individual experience that then doesn't flow out to embodied action. But that to me is deeply significant you know that, that a spiritual path can be doing that and of course in you know Mahayana Buddhism the very quint quintessential essence of the path is to be oriented toward not necessarily an experience of oneness as that's not the way it's cashed out but a dedication to that all that collective I think that's impulse is found in a lot of the other Indian Dharmic traditions too. 
you know, right up to some of the latest ones like Sikhism, where although it looks, um, yeah, like it is a sort of individual pursuit to some degree in that it involves the individual agent doing certain things and practices in order to produce certain things. In a way, a lot of it seems to be geared towards yeah, dissolving the thing in the way of mm. a more open attunement to people in the world and a more collective orientation rather than a more self-centered mm. one. Uh, and it's probably there in the um, in the monotheistic traditions too, to some degree, you know. Well, I don't know for what it's worth in this space, but Durkheim, who was one of the fathers of sociology and wrote a lot on sociology of religion, I mean, he really saw that the essence of religion was entirely social and it was about those collective rituals that formed meaning and positive bonds and he saw that as very stabilizing and and that he saw that the the problem of individualism was that these kind of collective um, rituals whether they're formal religious rituals or not um, would lead you know would take away from that positive sharing that humanity needed to keep a certain civility if you like for lack of a better word well, that bleeds us rather nicely on to this fairly big distinction that's often made between religion and spirituality. So, so a lot of people say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Or I kind of hate religion, but I still want to be a spiritual person. Mm. Uh, you have a good background in this area, having um, trained in sociology of religion, where this comes up quite a lot. So... If you don't mind me picking your mind a little bit. Uh, no, I What mean, do you make of those sorts of statements? What, what does that tell us about religion and its connection or lack of connection to spirituality? Look, I have to actually really bite my tongue here and not um, jump on all my own bias in the sense that for a while, for a long time, that kind of division frustrated me, the sense of I'm... Um, I'm spiritual, not religious, but I've come to appreciate why people would want to make a stern distinction or delineate a disassociation between themselves and religion. Um, but we actually we throw this question out to undergrads, you know, and get their, as you call it, raw intuitions on this stuff. And it's very clear that for that... Um, generation and ours as well um, that religion is very closely associated with basically being mentally straight-jacketed um, you know there's a strong sense of you don't think for yourself um, so you know it's dogmatic um, very strongly associated with kind of so social conservatism and control basically yeah. um, whereas spirituality it might have some of those connotations, I think, definitely that you've mentioned earlier, but there's much greater sense of the individual is choosing themselves, you know, and they can pick and mix and there's a freedom and there's a health and there's, you know, it's, um, it's very sweet on that street <laughs> and very dark and gloomy on the other. And, you know, there's, there's some basis in... Um, there's some basis in those. It sounds to me like you you really want to say actually they don't understand religion very well if they're saying that. Or they understand partly some aspects of it, but uh, maybe. Um... Well, look, these um, 
I don't really want to go into a long spiel here on no, please do. the backdrop here. But look, those distinctions are really rooted in part or an expression of obviously secularization, if not a certain degree of capitalism and a whole range of deeper modern themes around the sense of individuality, individual choice, equaling freedom, um, a sense that you know, homo-religious, you know, as if there's an individual type of religious person. And it very much doesn't look at the way that either religion or spirituality are really lived, you know, and embodied and how utterly variable and how much religious people too really construct their own religious path, picking and choosing bits of a religion that they can sit with, bits that they can't you know, the organic sort of... So it sounds like often it's, and I think it's very true, a kind of a straw man construction of of what you call homo-religious, the religious person as someone who is socially conservative, signed up to a whole bunch of beliefs without critically... And very moral, you know, this real sense of being very simplistic morally. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that a straw man construction in your view? Well, they obviously exist and we see them in the newspapers and we're not going to name the sort of leaders of various political parties that, that <laughs> represent absolutely beautiful, shall we say, versions of this straw man. So, of course, they do exist, but they grab the headlines, you know. Yeah. And whereas um, the, there's so many other religious practitioners that don't, but that that may have very very socially progressive views you know and there's a whole host of deinstitutionalization of religion going on you know in the sense of well there there is a backlash against these big overlording kind of institutions and people making you know home churches and all these kind of things one has to think about failings of religious institutions here of which there are pretty significant ones um, and severe in their ramifications Mm. Yeah, that's why I began by saying I have to step back on my own resistance to bias because there's really some justification. But in the same breath, surely there are many very good religious institutions that have, you know, a beautiful track record and doing a lot of positive things for a lot of people that we don't really hear much about, do we? Absolutely. Very progressive and, or, you know, not that it has to be progressive, but, um, you know, doing their best to push against you know what they see as the bigger problematics of just you know neoliberal capitalism just on steroids and and the massive fallout from those kind of economic conditions and the general complete destabilization of society but because in a sense that really is a big conversation for another time i just bring it back to this sort of thing of religion i'm I'm religious but not spiritual can i I put myself forward Can sure. I put myself forward as a uh, as an exemplar here? Um, I feel a little bit like I'm going out on limb, but I would like to be religious, <laughs> but I just can't. I just can't make the step to be a religious person. Well, so I think you was very religious, but that's because you 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 kind of deeply tuned into a whole range of spiritual practices. You know that you do in a formal. Well, I perform. I do perform way. rituals for the listener. I mean, mainly kind of Buddhisty, tantric rituals. Yes, 
But I don't belong to like a Buddhist institution. No, we see. I mean, and I'd, I'd like to, but <laughs> I, you know, I find them all mainly. Well, I don't want to be critical, but often they're uh, severely lacking in something. Something happens there which mm. I don't want to sign up for. Is that a problem with me? Am I expressing <laughs> like a, a kind of um, contrary nature or something, or is it that there is something a bit wrong for some people about? religious institutions mm. or relig- being involved in a particular religion as opposed to another one. Mm. I mean, there's a problem of pluralism there for me, which is once you sign up to X, you kind of, that's what you are. And it's all well and good, but what about Y, Z, A, B and C? Yeah, you know? well, look, I mean, I kind of know better because I have this strange ingrained need to broaden our conception of what religion is. But, you know... I'm exactly the same. I can't sign up to sort of formal religious institutions um, at all, and I never really have been able to. So why not? What's uh, what's the problem for you? Well, maybe it's a question of sort of... I just love to use the word authentic because it's so wrong. But, like having an authentic encounter with all of the things we were speaking about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, of, of subtle experience of being, of transcending sense of self, of limitation, of, um, you know, I guess I think it's a lot kind of gets back to this sense of belonging. I mean, that's a lot in sociology of religion belief and belonging another long story but i don't think you don't get us you don't necessarily get a sense of that you belong there you know so whether that's something of our generation that you know religion you know like i was a rebel completely alternative from mainstream society you know kind of institutional religion was the last thing i was going to get on board with that would have been social death it's because basically it's uncool. <laughs> I know. It's like it's, <laughs> That's what it yeah. comes down to. It, it comes down to showing how superficial we really are. Well, at I that know. age, I think that's excusable. Um, you know, you can understand why. Look, I, I was involved in a religious institution as a teenager. And I remember sneaking off with my friend, you know, in the middle of the service to go and buy some chocolate or something. And we felt like we were being deeply transgressive. Yeah. And I think, look, if you're brought up in that kind of context, I think you probably do need to transgress and create a bit of a rupture um, and find a bit your own way. It's a bit more than that, though, because I also want to bring it back to just how you, you know, whether that facilitates a powerful experience for you. I don't want to make this all experiential, but also that, that the teachings that are given within that context really resonate with you you know, there's a whole, there's whole. Well, that's a big issue for it, sure. You know, um, which you know, I mean, sure, it's 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 good to have scratched these things more deeply. I mean, whether or not it's a bit of a, a cop out here for me to put down some academic literature on this topic because um, you know, there's a few scholars of sociology, religion who look at this very question and try and say, well, when people are saying I'm spiritual, not religious, what does that really mean, etc.? And what does it even mean to be spiritual? And uh, there's um, one scholar, Nancy Ammerman, who looks at four different 
types of conceptions of the spiritual or experiences of it. Now, one is theistic, so but that's not necessarily a Christian God, but a strong sense of a personal deity and that that is really central to their experience of spirituality. Another is extra theistic. I, beyond any conception of a God, but this sense that spirit is everywhere, you know, so paganism would somewhat fit into that. Mm -hmm. This sense that spirit is all pervasive spirituality. Um, another that is rooted in ethics and expression of ethics in everyday life, something we've tapped touched on and then the, the final one which is, is this sense of religious so I keep saying religious but not spiritual probably because I want to make the point that there's no one that's religious and says I'm religious but I'm not spiritual do you know what I mean? Yep. So, so what's the fourth one? So the fourth, the fourth one is those that say I'm spiritual but not religious oh, yeah. and it's an explicit boundary that's being marked out to say and religion and institutional religion and this sense where you have to sign up to a congregation and believe certain things is the antithesis to spiritual to being spiritual oh, right right so but even those within that first frame that orient their spirituality around um a, a personal deity be that christian or anything it may happen in formal religious settings but just as likely not just as likely in their encounters in individual prayer or in gardening or you know so it's again just getting back to that perspective that spirituality flows through religion can be abruptly aborted or blocked in religion um as well outside of it too and it's multi you know it's multifaceted it's it's highly variable so we did say at the beginning of the podcast that we probably won't arrive at a clear and concise definition of the spiritual and i think we're right on track <laughs> to um fail or to succeed in in that aim because um, I'm not, I'm actually not any clearer myself about where we've got. We've just exposed ourselves, and then yep. we've covered ourselves with some academic oh, theories. It's always so. good to do that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind if um, we have time, maybe, uh, um, make taking a humble bow to that direction, because I really think it it is volumes there to explore um the evils and well maybe we'll return to this um yeah a bit later on some um, other podcast but you were starting to earlier um think about spirituality maybe away from some of the more cliched modes of ex expression let's think meditating chanting or something what about the relationship between spirit and work people put a lot of energy and effort into labor um what do you think the relationship is there what do you think the significance is oh well, i'm very deeply signed up for um for an intimate relationship between spiritual life and work life mm -hmm. or labor and again i could you know pop up all these famous names um to help is that because you're a marxist I make that comment really ironically because, you know, you think of Marx and you think not spiritual and, of course, the opiate of the masses, da-da-da. No, I'm a Marxist because of this. See, you this see. is beautiful. It's the other way around, you know. I mean, it's not just Marx. I mean, there's a lot of 
thinkers in the history of Western philosophy mm. that see, and going, going right back to the ancients, people like Aristotle, who see that in a way one's practice, and that might include aesthetic practices or athletic practices or one's labour, that there is an expression of one's psyche, to use that term that was there in Wikipedia, in those actions. Mm. Um, so the spirit or the what is spiritual is not some kind of abstracted thing divorced from one's activities. It's rather the case that one's activities are expressive of one's spirituality. Mm. And in fact, sometimes I've, you know, we're rather close to the view that it's only in being involved with labour that you really are expressing your true spirituality. Mm. So uh, it's quite a Judaic conception, actually, too. You know, in the, in, in the way in the Judaic conception, everyone has a kind of unique and particular soul and everyone has a kind of purpose. And that purpose is found in the world, in one's vocation or labour. Mm. But, yeah, there are all different ways you can arrive at it. You can certainly go there via the Hegelian Marxist route, where, you know, the, the spirit or the geist is a German word, is something on the ideal level. But at some point or another, it, it, it manifests itself in, in one's activity and relationships. And that very activity and relationship is transformative then of the geist again. So there's kind of a process of thinking action back to thinking and all of it is highly transformative mm. so yeah I, I think there is an intimate connection there although i don't think it necessarily has to be um you know a capitalistic version of it where how you earn your livelihood is an expression of your kind of your spirituality mm. i think that's increasingly difficult in today's age I love that conception that you've laid down. And then, then there's a huge problematic though at the end there. I don't, I kind of don't want to then jump into that for more sourness, but that's where you, you get this, I think it raises further cynicisms perhaps about spirituality where they're really being animated in the site of work and corporate world you know the, the obvious one is mindfulness and now there's i mean there's been critiques for decades now oh you mean actually bringing spiritual practices into, into the, the workplace. workplace exactly 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 yeah. which we naturally are repugnant about oh sorry i shouldn't speak on your behalf the ten, the natural tendency for me is to be repugnant about that and for decades now in the field that I've um, researched, you know, there's been critiques of mindfulness, you know, that it's deeply problematic to separate this Buddhist meditation practice from its wider ethics and soteriology, right? And um, you can still churn out articles on that, and that's good. But I guess I'm at the point where it's like, well, can we push this further? I mean, would we rather people self-medicate through alcohol to deal with that total untenability of hyper neoliberal capitalism. I mean, should we just put up a barrier and say, don't you bastardize spiritual and religious practices to, to try to fix a completely broken machine? 
so we can see the true nature of this beast you know what about for the individuals that are kind of well we all are but so is that jumping too far away from well what look there's about? a lot to say there uh, and yeah, I mean, you could again do a whole podcast just on this question. Maybe we will. And look, the problem for me is that there is a structural issue, which is um, there's been a shift in power from, it's probably getting a bit political, but you know, why not? Um, there's been a shift in power away from employees and unions have been eroded. So working conditions have got, generally speaking, a lot more stressful people people have to work longer hours there's wages are stagnant and working conditions um i think are producing more kind of mental problems mm. than they used to and insecurity insecurity is a main issue insecurity. for sure it's highly uh, the workforce is highly casualized and people are offered short-term it's highly contracts competitive. highly competitive and it leads to intense stress because people have to work a lot just to keep living and so the problem is if you're using spiritual techniques like buddhist techniques to mitigate those stresses it's like putting a band-aid over a big wound and you might stem the bleeding a little bit but you know you're not really addressing the root problem what if you through that get a clarity and a stillness that capitalism is all pervasive you're not going to start the revolution you might as well just find a deep inner quietude try to do the best you can in 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 the network of your life well there's something to be said for that i mean it's better that a person has a bit of well-being and mental tranquility at work than being completely stressed out or you know suffering some kind of major anxiety but um yeah look I, i think in some ways like from a personal point of view if you have a job that's that's difficult or requires certain demands of you you want to be in the best place possible to do that job. And there are a range of different techniques that one could draw to do that. So on one level, I don't have a huge problem with it. But on another level, from a more political point of view, um, I'd want to say something like, well, what you really need to do is be a bit, you know, find the conditions to be more organised with mm. fellow workers mm. and actually demand better conditions. Mm. and rebalance the system so that workers actually have more security have better pay and aren't put under those sorts of stresses Mm. that are leading them Mm. to all these major kind of problems i look more deeply into causes which is actually a root um rational metaphysical meditation in buddhism to understand more deeply causes and conditions not just to mitigate well if you applied the whole buddhist corpus to that they would um, practice mindfulness and then they would look more deeply and they would see the whole situation of dukkha and they go okay well i'm going to renounce this and try and attain nirvana at least in the theravadan tradition so it wouldn't be very good for the um, employer (laughs) because they'd lose a lot of workers that way well in the realm of then you've mentioned dukkha which is suffering is is spiritual life tantamount to the opposite of that is is spiritual life all about happiness and freedom or is it in certain ways a contrast to that the very opposite of that uh, look i think there's a wide range of responses i personally think it's very close 
to a notion of freedom, mm. I think. In fact, I think it's impossible to be genuinely free mm. without cultivating a spiritual kind of life, mm. which is why I do it. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather be a hedonist, honestly. I'd like to be a hedonist punk rocker and just go out and play gigs and you know drink lots of beer and you know whatever. Mm. But the fact is that doesn't that doesn't work. Mm. I wish it did, but it doesn't. What works is cultivating a spiritual life. That's the uh, that's kind of the fact of the matter. And to me, that's very closely connected to freedom. I mean, at some point when you become an adult after being a child and a teenager, you realize that freedom is elusive. Mm. You, 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 you grow up and you're put into the world and you realize the world is mainly a world of constraint. Time is ticking away and you end up very determined by all these different things which you have no control of. And you suddenly realize, you know, like, oh my God, that human life is profoundly unfree. How do I find a little bit of freedom amidst this? And I think that that kind of um, paradigm is the first, uh, at least in my own experience, mm. the first deep impulse to find some solution to that problem. So it's a problem of freedom to some degree. But I guess there are many other ways of thinking about it too. And mm. I think that's the end of the discussion. As for happiness, I'm less convinced about happiness. I think, actually, I couldn't really care less about happiness. Mm. Uh, if it arises, it arises. If it's not there, it's not there. I think, you know, you could probably look to empirical studies and things and they show that people who are more contemplative or more religious tend to be a bit happier or something. But, you know, I take that with a grain of salt. I think, uh, yeah, maybe happiness might be a byproduct mm-hmm. of a successful spiritual life, but certainly not the aim of it. Yeah, no, um, no, I love your approach to spirituality and freedom there. I, I think we really have to dislodge this um, association between spirituality and happiness, as morbid as that sounds. Um, We should all be miserable. We should all be miserable. (laughs) And then you'll get your shit together. But no, I think what you're saying there is that the quest for happiness is in itself really, uh, I don't know, repugnant might be too strong. But it's at the very least a bit of an illusion. No, it's completely natural actually in the sense of completely natural meaning. Coming from a Buddhist perspective here, it's natural that we seek to avoid suffering and yearn for happiness. And that's completely understandable. But selling, selling or proposing that that it lies at the heart of a spiritual practice, I think, is deeply problematic, because without wanting to portray it as you know, um, it, as I said, in a kind of really dreary or morbid way, I think it would be more beneficial for us to look at it properly as a practice, as an art, you know, that requires this delicate balance between discipline, constraint, freedom, um, renunciation, you know, giving up certain things selectively to gain others. And that the, the, the perception of what a spiritual path is and the, the, the sense of happiness or getting something from it needs to be deeply balanced with not 
giving stuff up because that would be its own you know sort of old world religious cliche but more like putting putting something in to truly cultivate you know whatever the thing that you're most dedicated to you know that that thing doesn't just drop from the sky you know or arise out of nowhere it's this actually very beautiful but very challenging art form well if not happiness Mm -hmm. what about the ancient greek term eudaimonia which um actually sometimes is translated as happiness but the much better Mm -hmm. definition is something like flourishing Mm. should a spiritual life lead to flourishing and is that kind of the goal as it is for Aristotle I guess you'd want to define what flourishing is I like the word but what exactly is flourishing there in well in Aristotle it implies a lot of different things you know or you know I suppose having sufficient wealth, friendships, mm. enough contemplative time, enough theoretical knowledge. Mm. So I suppose all the different components of life that we might have, all of them are kind of tending towards a kind of, um, I can't think of another term, but they're all kind of singing the same mm. note. There's kind of harmony between them. Uh, it sounds great. I mean, I would, I would tend, but maybe this is too much a general tendency. I would probably step one or two or three steps more inward in the sense of looking at it as a connecting with um, a, a quality of internal awareness, energy, encounter. State of mind. That's um, More than state of hmm. mind because I'm thinking here about your very energy that you contact that you utilize to perceive to be and and the relationship between that and beyond your own interior would probably be quintessential to my sense of a flourishing spiritual path but that spiritual life but, but what you suggested sounds like a wonderful package yeah i'm not sure i'm really signed up for that either but i'm certainly signed up to the idea that um it has to be tested and in a kind of pragmatic way and you have to see whether or not it's working and if if there are things that are not working it has to be uh, properly understood as a a failure on some level and abandoned or relinquished in some other method i think one of the huge problems in um, the people that spiritual people face is that they get stuck or things aren't quite going so well in in their lives or whatever Mm. and they're not necessarily prepared to really look at that and go, well, things are not going well. There's a failure here. And there's maybe more of a temptation to kind of gloss over that with some kind of positive thinking or whatever. Whereas I think a true spiritual life has to face up to its where there are failures and, and, and to be kind of ruthless. But to, um, I would really like the points you're making there. I mean, I think to assess what is or isn't failure, though, not from you know, the sort of extant social expectations of the time, but from or an ethos, a broader ethos. Oh, sure. Um, no, you wouldn't want to bring just ordinary kind of conventional expectations no, no. on that because people have very stupid ideas of what success and failure are. No, but what... But from you, within. Yeah, and so you're kind of suggesting that... Um, 
on a spiritual path or being spiritual and deeply involved in that process you shouldn't allow it to be overly interiorized in a sense that there has to be a strong outflow inflow from the so-called problematic and I'm sorry external world and what is happening in there and that offsets against some of those really problematic associations that you mentioned it right might up. not be an external thing i mean yeah. it's good i think to test a spiritual path in the external world i suppose if that makes any sense but i'm more saying um say for aristotle if one is the whole point of spiritual life is to flourish mm. and then you can see at some point when you're in your 50s or 60s whether or not you've succeeded mm. i think Whilst I'm not signed up for that, what I'm trying to say is I am signed up mm. for really testing whether things work mm. or not. Practices, beliefs, techniques, whatever you want to call it. There shouldn't be this really crude dividing line between your spiritual practice and the world, your internal life and the external world, of course. Yeah, you have to be becoming a better person mm. and you have to be developing better qualities and, you know, and maybe... Maybe that might manifest externally or maybe not. But I think unless there are signs of that, you know, uh, one, should, one should investigate and, mm. and be clear. Um, can seem a bit micro and petty, but actually, yeah, if, if, if some of these things aren't deeply integrated, are you really reaching kind mm, of My car has never been integrated. <laughs> no. It's always been everything is going pretty well and then there's the car. Yes. Oh. So hopefully that's okay. Uh, well, we probably should wrap it up there. Yeah. Um, thanks, Ruth, for the excellent dialogue. So what's happening at a Rate house at present, Toby? Would you like to inform any listeners? Oh, right. For, yes, I've been looking at the analytics and we have... Um, Hundreds of thousands across the world. So uh, for all of you who are out there... Um, thank you. Maybe not that many, but there's a few. Uh, for those who are overseas, we're here in Australia, obviously, we are beginning um, a webinar series. So there'll be uh, two, two or three session webinars on a range of different topics, generally spiritual, either ancient philosophy or uh, something maybe more Buddhistic. But they'll be advertised um, on our website at aratehouse.com.au. So look forward to those. They're coming up um, through April, May, June, etc. For those who are more local um, in Melbourne and surrounds, there are, we're starting public events. Um, so I'm running some courses in, up here in the Dandenong Ranges and also in, in the city. Uh, again, check our website for exact times prices places and so forth and uh, if you want to jump into anything straight away we've made um, two of our online courses um, free access um, so you can go to those also online to get um, a very in-depth fantastic Dharma Buddhist course on Buddhist philosophy and there's also a meditation course up there um, or if you want to drop by say hello on Facebook not that we're there too often um, or email feel free to get in touch if you've got any further questions or ideas for further podcasts yeah that's an excellent idea we'd love to hear from you so um, please have a look at our website and send us an email uh, without further ado Ruth thank you very much for the dialogue and we'll see you again next time at aratehouse.com.au <laughs>